0: Chapter twelve of Bonaparte in Egypt and the Egyptians of Today This is a Librebox recording. All Librebox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit Librebox dot org recording by Gabi Cowan Bonaparte in Egypt and the Egyptians of Today by Haji A Brown. Chapter twelve peace without honor the months succeeding the suppression of the revolt were months of peace though scarcely of honor and certainly not of content the people were no longer harassed by daily innovations or angered by daily arrests and executions and looking forward to the early coming of a turkish army as certain to sooner or later bring them relief they submitted passively to the presence of the French. The Dewan, which had been suspended from the time of the revolt, was at the end of the year reformed, and Bonaparte took the opportunity to issue a proclamation in which he had the foolish arrogance to claim to be inspired. This addressed to Mohammedans was a gross mistake, and is yet another proof of his inability to learn from experience or to comprehend the task he was so blunderingly pursuing the egyptians received the proclamation with the ridicule it deserved but they were careful to keep their opinion of it to themselves having learned very thoroughly the exact value of the liberty equality and fraternity of which they had heard so much and knew perfectly well that liberty must by no means be taken to include the liberty of criticizing the french as to equality bonaparte did certainly show some impartiality at all events in matters not directly affecting the french those some native christians who had been too bold in availing themselves of their new-found liberty to insult the moslems were summarily punished not so much probably for the offence as to discourage their provoking reprisals from which the french might suffer some soldiers too who had been captured after raiding the house of a Moslem and outraging the women in it were executed this being a serious offence against discipline these matters were referred to by the general In his proclamations as evidence of his friendship for and desire to do justice to the people, but the people put their own construction upon these acts and his allusion to them. The whole tenor of the system under which they were so unwillingly living was, in their opinion, utterly opposed to justice and reason, and they could not bring themselves to conceive these incidents as anything more than mere concessions made to mislead them they had always been accustomed to receive in their private affairs a certain amount of justice under the vase. this was indeed usually of a very rough and ready kind thus one of the bays one day passing through the town meeting a citizen who had just bought some meat from a butcher in the market took it into his head to see whether the seller had given his customer full weight and finding that he had not done so at once ordered the deficiency to be supplied from the butcher's own body french justice was less fantastic and impulsive than this whether it was more effective it is not so certain but it had to the egyptian mind the great effect of being in general less amenable to the pleadings of mercy and was like the base so often misdirected as to become injustice thus bonaparte gained but little from his good intentions in this respect as to fraternity the canon of the revolt had been the stormy requiem of all possibility of that the battered houses of the town were infinitely more eloquent to the people than all that bonaparte could say and he could have but little assistance in preaching or enforcing his ideas on this subject for the french generally though quite loyal were scarcely enthusiastic in their efforts to realize his wishes in this direction and could in any case do but little while the native christians who could have done much unable to rise above the pettiness of their own vindictive feelings so far from seeking to promote friendship between the french and the moslems lost no opportunity of exciting the one against the other so poor fraternity lay neglected in the tomb that bonaparte's blundering had so speedily and so unnecessarily dug for it all through the occupation the worst friends that the french had were the christians of the country divided among themselves they were at one though not united in the feelings with which they quickly learned to regard the french there was no open disunion nor apparent discord but the bitterness of sectarian animosities that prevailed among them was of the keenest the franks being christians of the orthodox or greek church held the copts as heretics and these looked upon those as infidels nor were they less divided by their political and social ideas and habits and as such rival sects always are were more strongly moved by their mutual distrust than by their common christianity indeed served them as a bond only for evil in their common hatred for the moslems these though they had for centuries to endure more oppression injustice and tyranny than either of the two christian peoples had ever suffered from were conscious of and showed a dignity and self-respect that was galling and offensive to the others our friends the historians lose no opportunity of condemning the muslims for this characteristic denouncing it as arrogant pride fanatical conceit and i know not what else but though the muslim too often renders himself liable to criticism on this point his fault in no way abrogates the truth that self-respect that is in varying degrees the birthright of all men is to him alone justified by his religion for islam alone of all religions while teaching the frailty of man's nature teaches also the doctrine that man is naturally inclined to good and that his sins and his follies are the result not of a corrupt nature but of ignorance and false teaching a nobler and truer conception that their degrading superstition that it is their nature to do evil the muslim unlike those methodists whose sole anxiety in life is for the salvation of their own miserable souls has no salvation to seek as a muslim he is assured of eternal happiness it is inevitable therefore that he should respect himself even as the christian who has but a jot of belief in the teaching of his religion cannot look upon himself as other than a child of wrath, by nature evil and a lover of evil truly a grovelling devasive creed and it is with creeds as with ideals that they should influence the whole life and nature of a man it is by no means necessary that he should be conscious of their influence much less that he should analyze or even be capable of analyzing it whence no degradation no tyranny no misery can deprive the muslim of the self-respect that is his inheritance a self-respect no other religion permits and one that no follower of any other religion can by any possibility enjoy since he who has it must be a believer in the essential doctrines of islam and thus though he know it not a moslem this is an essential difference that must forever hold all moslem peoples apart from all others i have shown already how not the moslem only but all easterns measure life by a standard irreconcilable with that of the european and when we put the influence of these two causes together we get a current of thought native to the moslem wherever he is found no outside influence or power can stem or divert and this being so apart from all considerations of the respective political relations it is evident that the moslems and christians of egypt as of other countries could not be otherwise than opposed to each other and that the very causes that made them so served to sever both alike from the french as orientals the native christians had in spite of their difference many thoughts and many habits and customs that they shared with the moslems but which were wholly unacceptable to the french nor were the french less disappointed by the attitude of the moslems to them than were the christians by that of the french towards them they have expected from the french a preference they did not get and a patronage that was withheld while the openly professed friendship of bonaparte for the moslems and their religion was to them the act of a traitor and a renegade and none the less so that they like moslems were by no means misled as to the real nature of the friendship or of its object great as was the hatred of the christians for the moslems it was not as we have seen sufficient to prevent their joining these in their protest against a french reform that touched their own prejudices but though that incident might have taught them that it would be to their own interests to conciliate muslim feeling so far from attempting anything of the kind they hastened to avail themselves of the collapse of the revolt to indulge in language and acts offensive to the mahomedans believing that the permanency of the french rule was now assured they abandoned all the restraints they had been compelled to submit to in the time of the base and which they had been more or less chary of neglecting under the early pro-muslim policy of their successors having suffered but little from the event that had proved so disastrous to the moslems they had ample funds to enable them to follow their own inclinations and throwing aside the simple costumes and habits prescribed for them by the old law, went abroad clad in gold-embroidered garments, carrying weapons, and mounted upon horses, all luxuries that had long been forbidden to them, and did not fail to flaunt their new-born liberty in the eyes of the Moslems and openly exult in the discomfiture that had overtaken these meanwhile a party of the french army was in constant pursuit of the fugitive Mamelukes, and the small parties were being sent from cairo to punish raiding bedouins or villages that obstinately refused to pay the taxes imposed upon them these latter always returned to cairo with such booty of flocks and herds and other property as they had been able to obtain all of which was appropriated to the use of the french however excusable or even necessary discontinuation of military operations may have been it had a most disastrous effect upon the trade and commerce of the country the small foreign trade that the country still possessed at the time of the invasion had ceased altogether and the disturbed condition of the country had been almost equally fatal to local trade communications between cairo and distant towns even alexandria and Damietta, were rare and uncertain and attempts of the french to maintain a postal service between the scattered portions of the army had almost completely failed as a consequence of the general disorder thus prevailing the merchants and dealers of cairo suffered so heavily that large numbers of them were reduced to indigency and compelled to seek a livelihood by any means that offered some who had contrived to save a small amount from the wreck of their businesses opened restaurants or coffee-houses or took to the sale of fruits and cakes and other small articles that were in demand among the french while yet others gained a living by hiring the donkeys they had once themselves ridden in state to the soldiers who had taken to donkey-riding and racing as one of their chief amusements the approach of the second year of the occupation brought no change in the condition of affairs but rumours of the coming of a turkish army were growing not only more frequent but more consistent and bonaparte believing that it would be better for him to assume the offensive than to await an attack began to hasten the carrying out of preparations for the conquest of syria the prospect of active service was hailed with pleasure by the troops but the native christians were dismayed at the idea of any large body of the french army leaving the immediate vicinity of the town fearing that the moslems would seize the opportunity to avenge themselves for the insults and injuries they had been bearing at their hands urged by this fear and with the idea of inducing bonaparte to postpone his departure if not to abandon it altogether some syrians went to him and told him that the moslems were preparing a new revolt fortunately for the moslems these mischief-makers in the excess of their cunning and anxiety to influence the french gave a number of alleged details which bonaparte at once so afforded him a possibility of testing the truth of the information given some precautions were taken but it was soon evident that the moslems had no intention whatever of modifying in any way the pacific attitude they had assumed enraged at the attempt to mislead him bonaparte not only had the offenders arrested but issued an order that all the syrians in the town were to resume the distinctive costume and be subjected to the other restrictions that had formerly been imposed upon them by the base the annual fast of the month of ramadan during which the Moslems abstained from eating drinking and smoking from early dawn until sunset beginning about this time a proclamation was issued forbidding all non-moslems to eat drink or smoke in the streets or in sight of those who were fasting and a christian who was caught smoking was promptly arrested and bastinadoed these and other concessions that were made to moslem sentiment were not altogether unappreciated by them but coming as they did at the time when as they were well aware the french had more than usual interest in gaining their goodwill, they could not but regard these things as the husks of the corn that the french were to eat and saw so, therefore but little reason to be grateful for them but they at least returned them in kind by according the french the passive submission they were so anxious for and so satisfied by the conduct of the people that he could safely withdraw the bulk of his army bonaparte started for syria with the story of this ill-fated expedition we have nothing to do for though usually given at great length in the histories of the country it forms no part of its history the egyptians having no further interest in it than that arising from their sympathy with the people attacked they heard with pleasure of the difficulties and privations the army had to encounter and endure with regret of its success and with sincere rejoicing of its ultimate discomfiture it was in vain that bonaparte sent them the most rose-colored reports no one accepted or believed them the cold-blooded butchery of six thousand disarmed prisoners at jaffa was an incident of the expedition which historians in vain try to gloss over or excuse. but with all the founding fallacies with which they seek to save the honor of their hero the massacre was one of the most brutal and inexcusable atrocities of all those that sully the pages of history. No sophisms can defend it, for not only was there not the slightest ground for a plea of justification, but the measure was a stupid and impolitic blunder. The soldiers, we are told, carried out the revolting task of shooting down the bound and helpless victims with the greatest reluctance it was a notable example of the power of discipline the immediate unquestioning obedience of the soldier but such discipline as this when we think of the men on the fast-sinking birkenhead falling into rank and standing to order. As the doomed vessel made her final plunge, one feels that discipline may be great and glorious, but the discipline that stained the sand of Jaffa with the blood of six thousand unarmed pinioned men. Meanwhile, the Ramadan having come to an end, the people of Cairo celebrated the eid or feast with which they returned to the ordinary routine of life in much the same way but with much less feasting and rejoicing than usual according to the regular custom in all mahomedan towns and villages the people assembled on the first day of the feast to celebrate it with special prayers and thanksgivings and we get a curious insight into their manner of regarding the ceremonies of their religion from an incident that occurred on this occasion by some strange forgetfulness the imam or official leader of the prayers omitted to recite the fatiyah the prayer which is in islam that which the lord's prayer is in the Christian church with the addition that it is always recited at the opening prayer whenever and wherever muslims worship under all ordinary circumstances the Muslim idea of propriety in a mosque or place of prayer is such as prevails in the churches of europe but the reverent attention that is customary given to the imam will not stand any great strain and so reminded by a storm of protests from the thousands of worshippers present the imam on this occasion had to recommence the service let the reader try to imagine the congregation at some great festival in saint paul's or saint peter's roaring at his grace the archbishop or canterbury or his holiness the pope that he had omitted the collect of the day and peremptorily ordering him to recommence the service two months later in may seventeen ninety nine the great Ed or day of sacrifice was kept but in this as in all things the shadow of the french occupation overhung the people and embittered their feelings sheep which for several reasons are the animals generally chosen for sacrifice could not be had partly because the flocks of the neighboring villages had been almost wholly consumed by the french and partly because the restless condition of the country Prevented those of more distant places being sent into the town, so the salvos of the artillery with which, according to custom, the occasion was celebrated, were listened to by the people, but failed to awaken their usual enthusiasm. And fire, as they were by the unorthodox hands of the French gunners, were to the Moslems little better than a mockery. Early in the year, when the plague had first appeared rigorous police regulations had been issued for the protection of the french who suffer from the dread of epidemics so universal in christian europe but which as readers of king's lakes Ethoen will remember so slightly disturbed the oriental mind as the year had advanced the plague had shown no signs of disappearing and new and more stringent orders were issued in the hope of restricting it dire penalties were therefore imposed for concealing a case or a death or for neglecting the prescribed sanitary precautions and some idea of the frantic terror that possessed the compilers of these regulations may be gathered from the fact that death was a punishment proclaimed for any one sick of the plague who should dare enter any other house than his own dwelling thus the first year of the french occupation and the year of the moslem calendar came to an end within a few days of each other and gavarti winds up his long and yet all too brief record of the woes and tribulations of the twelve months by saying that it had been full of unheard-of events the most important being that the people of egypt had been unable to make the pilgrimage to mecca a very notable conclusion of the year's story a conclusion that tells us much of the people and their most extraordinary and irrational way as you no doubt think it of looking upon the affairs of life the coming of the french the terrible sufferings of the panic-stricken town the gathering of that wild storm of revolt its bursting collapse the long-delayed hope of relief the daily outraging of the most cherished prejudices of the people all this the great flood of evil and sorrow that was the one recollection of that miserable time for all the people all this was of less importance than the fact that a few hundred individuals had been unable to perform the dangerous journey to Mecca. Death, want, misfortune, and misery of every kind had filled the record of the year for one and all of the people. But this one thing, in which but a few of them only could have any direct personal interest, this was the most important event of the year. Is it any wonder that the people refused to fall down? and worship the golden calf of the french republic that bonaparte and his staff were so vainly trying to exalt that the reader may the more justly appreciate gavarti's comment on the history of the year he must recall two facts with reference to the composition of his history first that it was written at the time it is not a record compiled in after years when the feelings emotions and thoughts of the moment had been forgotten or blurred it was rather a diary scribbled down from day to day and one written too with no special object other than that of recording the principal occurrences of the time a mere narrative not written in support of a theory nor as a study of men or things nor as a text for the exposition of the author's views but simply in the plainest and most literal sense a mere narrative secondly it is not an opinion but as a fact that he puts this failure of the pilgrimage down as the most important event of that disastrous year and he puts it down as a fact in terms that show clearly that he believes that as a matter of opinion it is one no one who may ever read his history will for a moment think of questioning or doubting in any way if the reader can by any possibility bring himself to comprehend in the faintest degree the true purport of this summing up of the year's history he will have got along a very long way on the road to a clear comprehension of the egyptian as he was in seventeen ninety eight and as he still is it may help the reader somewhat to form some idea of his own on this subject if i turn aside for a moment to tell him what this pilgrimage to mecca is and how it is regarded by moslems of egypt and other countries itself surrounded by the hills of the desert district of hegaz the city of mecca has grown around and encircles a great rectangular open but cloister bounded space in the centre of which rises a flat-roofed building occupying a mere spot in the vast courtyard and which for its height might be termed a cube clothed on all sides by a hanging cloth of the deepest black relieved only by a band of arabic lettering wrought in gold nature herself has produced no more impressive sight than that presented by this small building thus strangely carved and hid away in the wastes of the desert in size in form in all things save its sable garment gently swaying to the slightest breeze the building is one that would never draw for the stranger a second glance but as it is once seen it dwells upon the mind forever with a vividness of detail no other sight can produce this is the bait allah the house of god of islam first erected as moslem tradition relates by the prophet Abraham, and ever since a place of pilgrimage for all true worshippers of God. Hitherwhile, yet Christianity and Islam were yet unknown in the days of ignorance. When Arabs still worshipped idols of stone, they came from all parts of the Arab speaking world as pilgrims, counting all the many dangers of the road as not compared to the rich rewards awaiting in the future those who should accomplish this duty enjoined upon the moslems as one of the five great obligations of their creed the pilgrimage today draws moslems from the most distant parts of the world by long and tedious journeys through the wildest and least civilized parts of the earth heedless of dangers and difficulties counting it again to suffer by the way and content to die once their eyes have fallen upon the sacred building and of all moslems the egyptian and most especially the kairini has a special and peculiar interest in the pilgrimage since it is the privilege of cairo to supply from year to year the new kishwa or clothing for the fate allah here then we have a partial clue to the importance attached to the failure of the pilgrimage by the chironists but as i have said the failure was one that directly affected but a few hundreds of the people those who under more favourable circumstances would have taken part in the pilgrimage but these from the point of view of their own pilgrimage would accept the impossibility of performing it in that year as a matter of destiny and would have regarded the impoverishment of the resources caused by the endless exactions of the french as a greater evil as one not only preventing their making the pilgrimage in that year but possibly also in the future years since the expenses of the journey are such that to the ordinary pilgrim they are only to be met by the economy of years there was therefore some other reason why the failure of the pilgrimage should be looked upon as so great a calamity and if the reader will recall the incident of the omitted prayer at the festival of ed it may assist in guiding him to the solution of the problem for in that incident we get an aid to the understanding of the Egyptian's attitude towards his religion and his interpretation of its duties. These and other matters that I have had occasion to speak of may perhaps enable the reader to understand at least this much that this people has a standard of good and evil very different to his own, and that no scale of will and woo that he could draw out would be at all likely to commend itself to their acceptance he who has grasped this fact will have gained a position from which he may hope to pursue his study of the egyptians and their history with at least one solid indisputable fact to guide him a fact that almost impossible as one would think it to be the ordinary historian of the country seems quite unable to realize it is true that, in so many said words or phrases, they tell the readers that the Egyptian does not reason or think as other men do, but, having said so much, they describe and criticise their actions and thoughts without the least reference to this fundamental and controlling fact. Nor it is the historians alone who make this crass mistake: men living in the country, nay even those born and reared in it and living in the closest intimacy with egyptians are no wiser and hence whenever egyptian thought or opinion wrong counter to their own they all agree in attributing the difference to the stupidity or the fanatism and what is still less realized is that this difference is not limited to the moslems but it is shared by the christians of the country Severed from each other as the Moslem and Eastern Christian are in thought and aspiration, they are, though no holy one, strongly sympathetic in their estimates of European civilization as it is commonly presented to them. The active effect of their sympathy is partially nullified by the interest the Christian has in seeing the predominant power in the hands of his co-religionist and it was this interest and this interest alone and not any sympathy with French views or French ideals that gained from the Christians of Egypt whatever of support they gave the French. In all books on the East it is tacitly assumed by the writers that were the East Christianized it would be in full sympathy with European thought. No greater error is conceivable the coptic or the syrian clerk in the service of the egyptian government of today, compelled as he is by the official regulations attends his office in european dress but goes home to throw that off at the first possible moment to resume the garb of the country the loose flowing garments that good sense and experience alike tell him are not only the most comfortable but the most healthy in a climate such as that of egypt and as in this so in other things like the moslem he accepts many of the comforts and conventions of european life but like him he rejects not a few of these that north of the mediterranean are deemed indispensable these were things that the french did not and perhaps could not see and there was yet another obstacle they had to surmount but of the presence of which they seemed to have been oblivious the civilization that the french wished to plant in egypt had not been the growth of a day but the fruit of centuries of slow and halting progress had it been possible for a foreign power to have attempted to introduce that civilization into france say in the ninth or tenth century what manner of reception would it have had think you that the french people of that time would have hailed the innovations forced upon them with rapturous delight that they would at once have appreciated every little detail and hasten to abandon all their time-honored habits and customs to adopt those of their new teachers how did our hereward the wake look upon the innovations of the norman conqueror was it with an ecstasy of admiration that Gert, the swineherd thought of the norman civilization of his day was it enthusiasm for the benefits advancing civilization was bestowing upon them what led the ludities in their machine-wrecking riots the parallels are not perfect i admit yet there is in them a sufficient resemblance of circumstance and fact to justify the comparison and more than enough to discredit the conclusion that so many authors have drawn from the attitude of the people of egypt towards the french we have not reached the pleasant lands of our modern civilization wafted by a gentle breeze on a smoothly gliding bark but have won our way through a storm and tempest by paths bewirt with blood and tears and withal our progress has been less striving for good than a flight from evil and though we are not perhaps all sensible of it our appreciation of our civilization is largely our appreciation of our triumph over evils and difficulties the ignorant and thoughtless whether of the smart set or of the slums do not see this they and all of their class take life as do their cats and dogs and the beasts of the field as they find it yet he who can and will think must admit that it is so and admitting this we will see that in addition to the other causes that prevented the egyptians accepting the french and their reforms there was this very important one that they could not in any way appreciate them as reforms seeing that they were not yet conscious of the existence of the evils they were intended to remedy to the egyptian as I have said before, the life he had been living under the Mamelukes needed but little to make it perfect. Moderate taxation and the abolition of the erratic tyranny from which the people suffer were the two things wanted to make his life wholly desirable and pleasant. These evils, so far from being abolished by the French, were, in the opinion of the egyptian increased a hundredfold and to this the french added a host of minor evils worrying and wearisome regulations cramping the liberty and freedom the people had always enjoyed thwarting their natural instincts and burdening them with a sense of control they had never before experienced Again, I ask, what wonder was it that they did not fall down and worship the golden calf of the Republic? End of chapter 12 Peace Without Honor Recorded by Gabby Cowan in Kingston, Ontario, Canada